Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, July 28th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Silicon Valley reported quarterly earnings yesterday, and they blew away expectations. Meanwhile, an oil trader pleaded guilty to bribing government officials in Nigeria. Plus, China's crackdown on education companies is bad news for investors. But Beijing's regulatory move is not out of character. A mistake that people make with China, they believe Beijing's biggest concern is about the economy, and so they're not going to really upset the gravy train here. However, there's another side to China's economy at the moment, and that is control. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Yesterday, we got a few big tech earnings for the latest quarter, which means I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you right now, so just bear with me, okay? Ready? Microsoft beat analyst revenue expectations by about $2 billion. Google's parent company Alphabet beat revenue expectations by nearly $6 billion. But Apple? Apple beat revenue expectations by a whopping $8.1 billion. The bottom line here is that big tech is doing really well this year even with regulatory crackdowns by governments all over the world. I reached out to Richard Waters for a second time this week to put these big numbers into context. You know, I feel like we kind of get out the thesaurus every quarter now and try and find new superlatives because these numbers really are quite extraordinary. So you have to put this in context. There are good reasons why we might think tech earnings and growth would start to slow at this point. Um, This is normally a fairly quiet period for Apple, relatively quiet. You know, they had their big iPhone launch ahead of the holidays. People are starting to go back to work, uh, back to school and so on. And so, you know, to some degree, we might expect demand for digital services generally to start to fall back a little bit. And yet none of that is happening. You know, what we're seeing is just extraordinary growth. And I think this is a quarter that will give comfort or confidence to the people who've been saying, Something significant's happened in the world now. This wasn't a one-off. People's behavior has changed. People's demand for the cloud, for home entertainment, for digital medicine and digital education. These are permanent changes. Richard Waters is the FT's West Coast editor. He covers all things tech. Now, a story about Glencore, one of the world's biggest mining and commodity trading companies. Yesterday, a former Glencore trader pleaded guilty in the U.S. to bribing government officials in Nigeria in return for lucrative oil contracts. Anthony Stimler, a U.K. citizen, worked on Glencore's West Africa desk until 2019. Neil Hume, our natural resources editor, has the details. It's already known that Glencore was under investigation by the Department of Justice. They subpoenaed the company back in 2018, looking at alleged bribery and corruption in three countries. So it doesn't come as um, a great surprise, but it is the first time we've seen a former Glencore employee, I think, I'm right in saying, pleading guilty to a bribery charge. Now, we should note that Glencore came out and issued a statement about Stimler's conduct. They described it as unacceptable, And Glencore said it has fully cooperated with authorities. But, Neil, you know, what does this case tell us about the wider effort to stop corruption in the natural resources sector? I mean, it's not a great look for the company or indeed the industry, which has been suffering the commodity trading industry with a whole host of problems with bribery and corruption. A number of Glencore's peers have also face scrutiny from US regulators. Some have been fined. I mean, I think large scale commodity trading is a very difficult business to do without 
working through intermediaries or agents in resource-rich countries. These do give you the ability to sort of get in and talk to ministers and win deals. But obviously, there's there's potential for corruption. I mean, if you look at many of these cases, what seems to happen is intermediary companies or agents, you know, are paid a fee. Very often, this fee is inflated and a lot of that fee is creamed off the top and then given to government officials in return for these oil contracts. And as we saw in the Glencore case, these contracts can come with more favourable delivery terms under these schemes, or they can even come with, you know, higher grades of crude. So Neil, I'm curious, is the increasing focus on environment, social and governance issues, ESG issues, having any impact on efforts to clean up the industry? The industry is facing a lot of pressure from investors to up its game in terms of ESG, especially when the mining industry is talking about, you know, providing the metals that will be needed for this sort of green, cleaner future. So it can't, on the one hand, claim that it's helping the energy transition, on the other turn a blind eye to some of these other governance and social issues around corruption and what it's doing in resource-rich countries. So, I mean, it does need to get a grip on this, I think, and be a bit more transparent and actually show that some of the actions it's taking have got teeth. If it doesn't, then I think regulators may come and do the job for it. Neil Hume is the FT's natural resources editor. Last week, the Chinese Communist Party announced regulations that will make it illegal for tutoring companies to earn profits, raise capital, or list abroad. The clampdown on the $100 billion educational industry led to Chinese stocks selling off in response. On Tuesday, that sell-off spread to the tech sector. Shares in internet group Tencent fell 10%, Alibaba was down nearly 8%, and the Nasdaq index dropped a little more than 1% on fears about Beijing's widening regulatory assault. Michael McKenzie is the FT's U.S. investment editor, and he joins me now. Hi, Michael. Hi, Mark. So, Michael, how bad has the shock to the global markets from the latest China crackdown been? Well, in boxing terms, it's been a classic blindside, really. I think most fund managers were sticking with China. And indeed, the flows show that money is still going into ETFs that track Chinese internet funds. But this has also highlighted a particular aspect of how investors, particularly on Wall Street, have been investing in Chinese companies. They've been doing it through a structure that's called a VIE. This has now highlighted how dangerous this practice is because it's essentially illegal in China and China's now clamping down on this and there could be more room for the changes and disruption in markets. Yeah, let's unpack that a bit. Um, VIE stands for Variable Interest Entity. Why are they seen as such a big problem here? Well, this has been a popular way for US investors to own shares or or have actually have exposure to Chinese companies. In reality, a lot of these structures are set up in the Cayman Islands, and they're basically holding companies that are designed to allow Chinese entities to attract foreign capital because they are forbidden from allowing foreign investors to have any ownership over big sectors that are important in China, such as technology. So what you actually have here is a type of structure that gives investors the ability to gain from the economic benefits that go to a Chinese company through an appreciation in the stock price. But they don't actually have any control and they don't really have any legal recourse to the assets of the company either. So you've sort of now with China saying, hang on, we don't want this. This structure isn't legal. Suddenly the stock prices are just have just collapsed for these education companies. And there are concerns that you know more of these type structures are also going to be off the table. So uh, until now, both Beijing and U.S. investors like BlackRock and Fidelity, um, they've been happy to gloss over the risks of the VIE structure. 
uh, could that change now? I think it's going to because, I mean, ultimately, this is not a legal structure from China's point of view. When I spoke with a lawyer earlier this week, he explained to me that a mistake that people make with China is that they believe that Beijing's biggest concern is about the economy and money. And so they're not going to really upset the gravy train here. However, there's another side to China's economy at the moment, and that is about control. And obviously, the crackdown on education actually makes sense. If you want to encourage China to alleviate its demographic problem and actually for Chinese families to have more children, education costs is a huge part of an issue here for many middle class um, families. And so you can see why the authorities are saying, look, we're going to make these education companies non-profits. However, it does mean that by lashing out at some of these big companies and trying to control them, it does suggest that they're going to go after more of these structures that have been so popular with Wall Street, the VIE. Is there any upside to any of this, Michael? Well, the potential ray of light is that by focusing on VIEs and coming up with a new, potentially a new way of attracting foreign capital, ultimately you're going to get greater clarity. And you have to remember here that China is wants to open up its financial markets to global investors. It's encouraging foreign asset managers, for example, to come in and do joint ventures and to set up independent fund management companies in China. I mean, BlackRock recently gained approval for both a wealth manager and a fund manager back in June. So we are going to see an opening up of China's financial markets to global investors. But I guess part of that process involves much tighter standards for how Chinese companies list and how they attract capital. This is something that should surprise investors, but it likely means it's going to be painful in the near term for those that ignored the warnings, for example, about uh, VIEs. Michael McKenzie is the FT's US investment editor. Thanks for your time, Michael. Thanks, Mark. And before we go, a word on how law firms are desperately trying to retain talent. There's been a record number of buyout deals in the past six months, which means a higher demand for legal services. But all these M&A deals have created burnout, which makes for a slim supply of lawyers. Law groups really want to hang on to the people doing the work, and so U.S. firms are offering unprecedented bonuses to junior and mid-career lawyers. A recruiter said one firm in particular was offering retention bonuses worth about $250,000 to mid-level lawyers with job offers elsewhere. These golden handcuff bonuses, as they're called, come with a catch. If the employee leaves before a certain date, they have to return the money. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. 
Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.